month, Jesus full of grace and truth that comes from the scripture in John chapter 1 verse 14. And it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You can't have one without the other as much as sometimes I think we really love the grace part and skip over the truth. We've got to have both, and Jesus is full of both. So today, um, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to 14. That's another commitment this year. If you don't have a hard copy Bible, I really encourage you, get one, trash it. That was my goal this year. Check that out. How cool is that? It's awesome because when you want to look for something, you've got all the best parts that you found over the year highlighted and scribbled on and little notes taken Whatever. Make it your goal to have a Bible that looks like better than this. Like this, this could do better. Like let's, let's make a goal to be in our word, to trash our Bibles, in, not in the sense of like literally destroy it. But I heard a saying once that was a Bible that's falling apart belongs to someone who's not. And I think that couldn't be truer because if we've got pretty pristine Bibles that have never seen the light of day, what good is it? What good is it to have a Bible in your house if you never read it, if you never get into it, if you never use it? So um, Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to 14 said, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. When he, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So Jesus talks in a lot of parables, because how much easier is it to understand something when it's told in a story than to understand, like who, who ever learned mass, like they would try to explain a situation to you and you didn't get it. But then when they'd put it in context of a real life scenario and maybe they'd get out some blocks and show you how it worked in real life, like when you're learning how to do subtraction, they'd put out eight oranges in front of you and they say, you know, if I have eight oranges and I minus four, how many do I have left? It makes much more sense when you see it in front of you, when you rather than when you see written numbers on a um, on a board. And that's what Jesus tries to do with these parables. So he's trying to explain concepts of the kingdom in a story that makes a little bit more sense for us to understand. So we're going to try and break that down today. So the first thing that he talks about in this story is about an invitation. 
What is this invitation? Well, it's to the banquet of the king. It's to the banquet, the wedding feast of the son of the king. It's like the greatest party that you could possibly be invited to. It's like being in like the Cinderella fairy tale where like everyone wants to get this invite to the king's ball. Like it's the greatest thing ever. And people are literally like, you know, taking people's invitations, you know, from Cinderella because they don't want her to go because it's a great party. This is what the invitation is. If we look in Revelation, um, the book of Revelation, this is actually what it's relating to. It's not just a made-up wedding feast, but God's actually comparing it to a real feast that's going to happen one day. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 to 9, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So blessed are those who are called to, who receive this invitation. What is the marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, it's exactly like this story here. It's the banquet that the king, the father of the son who's getting married. Who's the father? It's God the father. Who's getting married? Jesus. Jesus is getting married to his bride. And who's his bride is the church. It actually talks about that in, in, in the Bible is that, that we are the bride. The church is the bride. Sorry, guys, but you are a bride as well. And, and one day we'll have the marriage supper, as it says in Revelation, of the lamb. Who's the lamb? Is Jesus. Why is he the lamb? If you don't know, back in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals to pay the penalty for their sin. And Jesus came when he died on the cross. He gave his life um, for us and his blood covered all of our sin. So he was called the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's why it's called the marriage supper of the lamb, because because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of his blood, because he was the ultimate lamb, he was the lamb of God who was slain, we can be at that wedding feast. We can be there, and we can be the bride of Christ, and we can come and enjoy that supper with, the, with God in heaven. So that's pretty cool. Like it says in the scripture in Revelation, blessed is the one who is invited. Blessed are those who are invited. It's an unearned undeserved gift is like if I was God, luckily I'm not God, but if I was, there is no way I would even die for anyone in the first place. I would wipe the whole, like all the people out, probably never make people again because people suck. And then I would just start a whole new life with a bunch of robots who just worshiped and served me. So who's glad I'm not God? That's everyone. But <laughs> if I was God and I was that was kind of gracious and loving and amazing enough to even send my son to die for people, there is no way I would let them get off the hook. I literally had my son tortured, killed for people who literally killed him to save their life. I wouldn't let them hear the end of it. I would be like, you can come to heaven, but you're going to be my slave. You are going to scrub the floors of heaven. You're going to eat off the ground with the dogs. You are going to like, you're going to always feel guilty and shamed for what you have done. But that's not what God's done for us. He's given us this great gift. He said, you can come as a guest at my table. You can eat of my feast. You can be here in heaven with me forever. You can be joined together in relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. You get to be in this place forever. 
and this massive party. That is the invitation. And it says that the invitation is for everyone. So that's so exciting because that invitation is for you and it's for me and it's for everyone in the world. God has invited us to his table. So the second thing is the inviter. So you can have an invitation. That's really great. It's really great when you think about inviting someone but nobody knows that they're invited until they get the invitation. And sometimes it's really awkward because you think you've invited someone, but you didn't. And then you have the party and you ask them why they didn't show up and they said, I was never invited. And Anyone that happened to you? That's happened to me before. <laughs> Oops. The inviter. So it says in Scripture that he sent out his servants to call those who were invited. So who are his servants? His people. If you belong to the kingdom of God, then you are a servant of God. We must, if we belong to the kingdom of God, then we must take our place as servants of God. God is the great king in this story. And so what is he required? What is he asked of his servants? Is go and send out the invitations. Because I think we get it a little bit mixed up. It makes sense in this story because we can relate to that. Who would ever expect that the Queen of England would send out her own invitations to a party? No one would ever expect that. No one would ever expect that the Queen would do that herself. No one would ever expect the Prime Minister would be personally handing out invitations to his party. You know, they might be part of arranging the guest list. I doubt it. But... (laughs) If they, they would never be the ones sending out the invitation. So why do we expect, why do we sit around waiting for God to hand out the invitation to people? We are the servants, and it is expected that the servants would send out the invitations. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 actually asks of us to go, this is Jesus speaking to us at the end of Matthew chapter 28. It says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What is the requirement? Go into all the world, into all of the world, and make disciples. So what are disciples? Disciples are servants. Disciples are servants, those who work for the master and the king, who give their life over. They're obedient and they're loyal to him. They serve him, they honor him. They are his physical representation among the earth. We know that that, that's what it's like. You see soldiers in the palace. Everyone knows that the soldiers belong to the queen because they're wearing the uniform with the funny hats and the cool outfits, you know, like even in the sweltering heat, they always wear their uniform, you know. They are his physical representation. They're obedient and they're loyal and they serve and they honor the master and the king. That's what disciples are. They're servants of the great king. We need more servants to send more invites. Because the greatest thing about this invitation, it's like a plus one invitation. Who loves a good plus one when you're going to a party and you're like, I don't know who's going to be there. I'm going to bring along my friend. And then if it's really awkward, at least I got them and then we can go sort of thing. So plus ones are always great. But the best part about this invitation is it's a plus infinity. There is no limitation on how many plus ones you can invite. What a great party is that? You can have whoever you want to be there. It's so cool. 
And we need more servants to send out more invites because we've literally been asked to go into all the world. It's going to be very hard to reach all of the world unless we make more servants, more disciples. We, the, the principle of multiplication. Because if I invite two people to the party, those two people can invite two people as well. That's a lot of people already. Then they invite two and it keeps going and going and going. We need more servants to send more invites. There is no Facebook group for heaven. There is no save the date for eternity. Like we have to go out and give it to people. Everywhere, every day, every possible way. At the end of that scripture in 20, uh, Matthew 22, verse 14, it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. I find that very interesting because when you think about it, we are all called by God. Everyone is called by God. It says to the servants, Go out and call everyone. Go and call the people who are invited. We're all called. But why are only few chosen? Well, the difference between being chosen or not is whether you can do what Jesus asked us in Matthew 16, verse 24, is that anyone who desires to me, desires to follow me, must take up their cross. Must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So deny myself, which means giving my life over to Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And then I carry his call and his way and obey and follow him. The difference between being just called and being chosen is if you, you've got to put your hand up. <laughs> Have you ever had one of those games where you're like, oh, who wants, like, you might go, oh, who wants to play basketball? Or who wants to go play tennis? You can't pick anyone if they don't put their hand up. If, if everyone's like, oh, yeah, who wants to play? And no one puts their hand up, you go, oh, okay, no one wants to play. Walk away. Hey, wait, but I wanted to. Why don't you put your hand up? You can't choose someone unless they actually volunteer, unless they make a decision, unless they decide, unless they make it known what they want to do. You know, many are called. We're all called, but few are chosen because few people actually say, yes, I will deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. We like to sit back and wait for the day where we'll suddenly wake up and be the world's greatest evangelist. We love to wait for the day where the magical spiritual fairy will come along and sprinkle some dust and we'll suddenly have this great knowledge about the Word of God. We'll have exceptional people skills and we'll just be at a fantastic prayer and we'll have all the gifts of the Spirit and we'll just be a super Christian. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. It says in Acts 4 verse 13, this is after, so Jesus has ascended to heaven and then the disciples wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Then the disciples go out into the street and they begin to send out the invitations. They begin to tell people about the message of the gospel, about the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. They start to distribute the invitations. And what is it that's said about them in Acts chapter 4 verse 13? It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. What marveled people about these men? Not that they had magical fairy dust and made them a super Christian. Christians weren't even a thing back then. What made the people marvel was that they were uneducated 
and untrained, yet they spoke with boldness and authority. So you don't need to be someone special. You just need to be hang around Jesus. If you're uneducated and untrained, boom, you fit the criteria. How cool is that? You check the boxes. You are qualified without any qualifications. The only criteria you need to meet is to be a servant, is to be a disciple, to be an inviter, is to be someone who walks with Jesus. Because that's the one thing people recognized was that they had been with Jesus. They walked with him every day for three years. And when you walk in that, when you submit your life to his call, you lay down your life in obedience to him, watch that boldness and that authority come upon your life. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, it says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We're so worried about our weaknesses. God has given us an invitation. Why are we holding on to it, waiting for the day that we'll be whatever it is that we want to be? Ooh, that's one of my hairs. <laughs> it just went, whew, talk about magical fairy dust. Um, <laughs> when we, where are we waiting for the day when we're going to be this person and we're always thinking about when I'm this or when I'm that? But it actually says that God's grace is sufficient. It's enough because it's his power that's made perfect in weakness. So that when we have weakness, it's actually a good thing because that means we have to rely more on God. And he is really strong. Rely, lean on him, lean on his word, rely on his spirit. It doesn't mean being lazy. It means if you've got weaknesses, fill it with his strength. If you've got weaknesses, fill it up with his strength. Pray. Honestly, don't just say, yeah, I'll pray for that. Actually pray. Pray, pray, pray. Seek him. Seek his face. Read his word. Get involved. Serve at church. Serve in your community. Serve people. Just live it. Breathe it. Walk with him daily. Place your confidence and trust in him. Be obedient to what he calls you to. And pray scary prayers. If you want to see the boldness and authority of God come in your life, if you want to see his strength in your weakness, then stop praying safe prayers that are within your scope of expertise, within your abilities. Stop praying ones that are way outside of what you could ever accomplish and imagine. Let's start to pray for bigger, bolder things. What is it that you believe that God's put in your heart? And I'm not talking about waiting for a day where you suddenly go, oh, I hear the big voice of God from heaven. What is it that actually, the voice of God comes in many different ways. I know the voice of God when I see a compassion video. I literally, that's like one of the one things that can make me cry is a compassion video when you see these children in poverty. I know that God's called me to help children in poverty because anytime I see that, my heart breaks. You know, some of you might go, oh, that's really sad, but not be compelled to do something. But for me, I'm compelled. And that's how I know that's God speaking to me. Because I'm like, I can't just sit and watch this and do nothing. Like, it, it, it literally just plays on my mind. And, and it's, it's same with that. It's like the kids in, in this community. I can't sit and watch kids on the side of the road smoking drugs. Uh, or I can't sit there watching them on the side of the road knowing that they've just gone to school with no food in their belly. Like, it just, 
it really breaks my heart. I go, I have to do something about it. And I start by praying scary prayers. And the scary prayers have led me to, through a lot of things. I mean, this is, I've done seven years of youth pastoring now. We're now involved in Streetlight Elizabeth, where we look after the kids from the street. And I'm like, wow, that happened as a result of praying scary prayers outside of my scope, outside of my ability But God can work through that. That's how you get the invitation out, is you lean on God's strength and you pray big prayers. God, use me. Use me. So one, we have the greatest invitation. It's the most awesome invitation is we get to be a guest at the table of Jesus Christ. Number two is we are called to invite others. So we're not just a guest. We are also a servant. We are an inviter. And third is the RSVP. So let's look at some of the responses here in the story. In verse 5, it says, But they made, so this is the first group of people that get invited, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. My heart grieves for the one dayers, for the later in lifers, for the when I'm ready people. You'll never be ready to take up the call of God. You just have to do it. And you'll never know when is the right time or the right day other than the fact that it's actually right here, right now. There's no, there should be no delay on it. It says they made light of it, like it's something that I could just do at some stage. When I'm older, it's a thing that we do when we're older, you know, but we live while we're young and then when we're older, then we go and like be spiritual or something like that. You've got no guarantee You've got no guarantee that you will make it to older. I know of children that die every day. I'm talking to sick, dying people on the phone in my work every day. And these are not young, these are young people or people in their middle age. You don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. So why wait? Nothing will be nothing will ever be more important in this life than accepting an invitation to eternity. No business, no nothing. Everyone will die. That's the reality of life, is that there's life and there's also death, and it comes to all of us. Then when you die, what does your money, your business, your possessions, your social status, your degree, your car, your house, that party, that reputation, that pressure on your family, their family expectations, your clothes, your Sunday morning sleeping, what Worth and value, does all of that have an eternity? When your body is buried in the grave, where will your soul lie? The most important thing is your soul. Poor or rich, popular or unpopular, successful or not at all, we all end up, our bodies all end up the same way, pushing up daisies. So what are you going to do with your soul? Your eternity matters and cannot wait. So for being someone who's an inviter of such people, first thing I would say is, yes, you will get that response and you'll get it a lot. You will get it a lot over and over again. What can we do for these people? First of all, we can pray. That's the most important thing. Prayer changes hearts. God moves when we pray. Pray for these people. Pray for them, pray for them, and do not stop inviting them. Yes, it'll be discouraging. I've got people in my life that I've been praying and asking for like 15 years, like since I was a young kid, and they're still 
Still not in church. They're still not deciding to follow after Christ. But should I stop asking? No, I shouldn't. Because the amazing thing is you still see little moments of breakthrough along the way, little pockets. And some people are going to be real, real slow movers, really slow, like really slow. It's very frustrating. But you should never stop praying for them. You should never stop inviting them because one day they might just say yes. One day. Don't, but however, do not get hung up on them either. Do not just make it your mission just for this one person. Let's keep extending the invitation. Let's keep going. Let's keep inviting. And don't be discouraged by their no, because their no may be someone else having a yes. You know, you can't be discouraged by rejection. you got to keep going. <laughs> the second response was, <laughs> it's pretty intense. So the first lot, they made light of it. They were just the mere crowd. The second crowd, it says, the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. So we went from the meh crowd to the murderous. Escalates pretty quickly. In Matthew 10, verse 22, it says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. The invitation we are offering is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. But what does the gift of eternal life require of us? Repentance. It requires repentance. Repentance is a 180-degree turnaround. It's not just a, I'm sorry. Because I think a lot of people think repentance is just, I'm sorry. And it's not, I'm sorry for what I've done. It's, I'm sorry that I got caught and had to face consequences for it. That's a lot of people's, I'm sorry. I know, because I said it a lot as a kid, and half the time I didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs> I was a naughty kid. Um, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for the attitude of my heart that caused me to do that, and I want to change. I'm sorry, God, that I hurt you, and I want you to help me change. I want to turn away from this. That's what repentance is. It's turning away from sin and running towards God. So yes, when you bring about that message, you will be hated. Why? Because people love sin. Sin feels good when you're doing it at the time because sin is about being selfish. It's about getting what you want when you want it. It's about following every impulse and every desire. It's about losing all self-control because self-control takes discipline. It takes a lot of discipline. And we don't like discipline because it's boring and it's hard. So, so sin is like the opposite of all kind of order. It's complete chaos. It's follow every impulse, follow every whim, follow everything that your heart desires in that time and in that place. And it will bring you pleasure only momentarily though. But when you come to people and you say, when you show them God's truth, which is that you are a sinner and you fall short of the glory of God. And because you have sinned, you are deserving of death. Do you think that's going to be received great? <laughs> Do you think that's going to be received really well? Probably you're going to get similar response. They seized them, they treated them spitefully, and some of them were killed as well. And it happens. You see that in other nations. We are very blessed that that doesn't happen here. We just get social suicide instead. <laughs> But, like, actually, I want to tell you this story. I was reading this book called, this really just demonstrates how much people don't want to admit that they're wrong. In this book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by, by Dale Carnegie, 
there's this line in it, and it says, I have had some interesting correspondence with Lewis Laws, who was a warden on New York's fame infamous Sing Sing Prison for many years. So Sing Sing Prison, if you don't know, is a maximum security prison where they kept all the serial killers, murderers, rapists, mafia, cannibals even in there, like you name it, like all the top, you know, just the worst of the worst are in this prison. So this guy is a warden at this prison. It says, few of the criminals in Sing Sing regard themselves as bad men. They are just as human as you and I, so they rationalize, they explain. They can tell you why they had to crack a safe or be quick on the trigger finger. Most of them attempt by a form of reasoning <laughs> or logic to justify their antisocial acts, even to themselves, consequently stoutly maintaining that they should never have been imprisoned at all. So if prisoners in a maximum security prison, people who have killed people, who have eaten people, <laughs> don't believe that they did anything wrong, that they're justified in their actions, how would we believe that the average Joe who tends to compare themselves to prisoners and criminals to justify how good that they are, would believe <laughs> that they were a bad person? that they need saving. So don't be discouraged when you receive these kind of responses, when you receive the rejections and the no's and the ridicule and the anger and the bitterness. One thing I also learn about these kind of people is because there's a deep wound in their heart. The more aggressive they are towards you, generally the more they know that they're wrong, the more that they're hurting inside. The amount of people that I've taken time with in the last year even to get to know them, the ones that have been most hostile to me in my faith, I've really seen some deep, dark wounds and hurt and past and brokenness in them and which has caused them to act out and to speak up and to be angry and bitter in response to protecting their heart. So, so we shouldn't be discouraged by people like this. First of all, we can do is pray for them. Again, prayer is the most important and the most useful and the most effective way of getting to people. Pray for them. Don't stop inviting them. Do not stop. One day, you may just crack them. Thirdly, though, don't get hung up on them either. They will reject, when they reject the invitation, it's okay. It's okay because there will be others who will take the invitation, so don't stop inviting. Just because they said no doesn't mean someone else won't say yes. And the third one is, is the people, so it says that these people were not worthy to come because they rejected it, they said no, no, nah, I'm good. And then the third lot of people, it says that the servants went out to the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. So there's no restrictions on who can accept the offer. I think that's a bit of an encouragement too, because it was out of three different groups of people, only one group responded. So I think Jesus is painting a picture for us here. Do not be discouraged because two-thirds of people you ask will say no. <laughs> so when you get rejected over and over and over again, just take courage. It's matching up to the story. And just be glad that you don't get killed. You just get spotted instead. <laughs> so those servants went out, so good and bad. There is no restrictions on who can accept the offer. The servant went everywhere to anyone who would hear and presented the invitation. It wasn't a matter of being good enough, smart enough, nice enough. It wasn't just because they were their friends or it wasn't about avoiding people who were their enemies. It was anyone and everyone who would receive it. Let's not be selective with who we invite. The message of the gospel is the message of the gospel has actually been most effective for me outside of my friendship group. 
The more people I've spoken to that are not within my friendship group, the more people I've seen actually receive it and hear and listen and respond. Which is funny because I'm like, it must be because you often find friends that are like you. So my friends are stubborn. <laughs> so they're not, I still speak to them about it and we're working on it. They're the real slow moving ones. But so many people, when I've just, God's just brought them into my attention, my I don't even know that person. I've never spoken to them to before. I don't even know their name. And God's like, go speak to them. And it's amazing the conversations you can have. It's amazing the opportunities that you have. Invite everyone and anyone. Don't be restricted just to people you like and people you know. Invite people you hate. Watch God work on their heart. Watch God change and transform their life. How cool would that be to be someone that you despise so much end up becoming your friend, which is a lot of my friends, um, in fact. It's amazing to see how God can transform people's lives. So the num- number four is the dress code. This is the final thing, and this is super important for us. Because in verse 11, it says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Let's go back to Revelations that we talked about in the beginning. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 to 9. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's an expectation here is that she, the, the bride, was arrayed in fine linen. And this fine linen is described as righteousness, the righteous acts of the saints. We are the saints. The righteous acts of the saints. So, and this, this um, matching them up, This scripture here about the banquet talks about why was he not wearing his wedding garment? Why was he not dressed appropriately? So there actually is an expectation on us and how we come dressed to this ceremony. Now, I know that we say here, so this is different. This is where we've got to look. There's two different things. So there's how we come to Jesus here on earth versus how we come to him in heaven. It's two different things. So don't get confused. You can come as you are to Jesus now, but you can't come as you are to Jesus in heaven. That's where I think a lot of us get, get uh, hung up. We miss that point. The bride is Jesus' church, and that's who he's coming back for. I want to paint this picture for you of what this would be like. Because when I read this as a kid, I thought, that's, that's really harsh. He just didn't have the right shirt on. And he throws him out into outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, which we know in every version of the Bible where this same illustration comes up is an example of hell. So he gets thrown into hell for wearing the wrong T-shirt. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's, that's pretty like, full on. So what is he talking about? Well, let's think of it this way. Imagine a groom. Imagine being a groom. Just imagine yourself that you are a groom at a wedding. So you're, about to, you're on your wedding day. You're about to marry the love of your life. You've been waiting for this for so long. You are such a good groom. You love your, your wife to be so much that you actually paid out all thousands, thousands of dollars to get the best wedding planner, the best chef, the best like organizers, decorators, everything. So she didn't have to do a single thing for the wedding. It was all done by professionals. It's perfect. It's brilliant. You've, you know, you've got yourself all ready for the day. You've got your best hairstyle on. You, you know, you've washed yourself. You've got a fantastic suit on. You know, you put cologne on, as we tell the boys in youth. Cologne takes you from average to above average. So, you know, it's going to be good. 
And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> so you're all ready to go. You're super excited. You're standing at the altar, and then the wedding march sounds, the door opens, and what do you see? There's a bride. She's standing there. She's got a like oversized t-shirt dress with stains of pizza all down the front. She's not wearing shoes. She's just in her socks that she's just walked through the garden in, so they're all brown on the bottom. Her hair is just a bird's nest, disheveled. She's literally just rolled out of bed. There's no makeup on her face. She's just got the dark under eye circles and the bloodshot eyes because she stayed up all night watching TV just because, you know, she wanted to binge watch her favorite show. She hasn't brushed her teeth. Disgusting. Um, And, you know, she's just like this and she's like, what's up? I'm here. How would you feel? How angry would you be? What, how, how would you feel firstly? What does that say about how the bride feels about you? What does that say about your relationship? Clearly, it's one-sided. <laughs> Clearly, it's one-sided because she doesn't give a toss about you. She wants you to do everything for you but has no, no concern for you at all. What does it say about the love, the respect, the honor that the bride has for the groom? It's non-existent. That's why the clothes are important. That's why the clothes are important. The church as a collective is looking pretty scary right now because we love the word grace and despise the word truth. The word grace, we think, is this beautiful thing that covers all of our sin so we can stay where we are and continue to live just as we please. Because it's okay because I'm covered by grace because I'm forgiven. But that's not the way that grace was designed. Grace was not designed as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace was designed as something empowering. So that when you mess up, so when you stuff up, grace could empower you to be able to keep moving forward in the truth. The truth sheds light on your sin and your inability, and grace helps you to live that out where you cannot, where you fall short. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. The important thing in that is it's not confessing Jesus as merely Savior, it's confessing him as Lord. It's confessing him as Lord. It's confessing him as King in this scenario. Those who are the servants of him will obey him, will serve him, will follow him, and will wear his uniform and will identify themselves by him, by wearing the robes of a servant which in Revelation is described as the robes of righteousness. So we need to be dressed. We need to be ready. The Bible talks about the Pharisees being people who clean the outside of the cup and leave the inside dirty, as in they look good on the outside, but their hearts are black and dark with sin. It says in Matthew 7, verse 22 to 23, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is not coming back for the closet sinner. Jesus is not coming back for the unrepentant or those who live in denial about what they've done. Jesus is not coming back for the pretender or one who claims to be Christian but lives otherwise, who lives in disobedience, who honors Jesus on a Sunday with their mouth but dishonors him with their life, who who claims to call him Lord within these four walls but denies him to the rest of the world. He's not coming back for that person. He's coming back for his bride who's wearing the robes of righteousness. 
Now, don't get me wrong. That's not something we can do our own strength. What I'm saying is grace is about the person who can admit that they are wrong, that wants to change their life and is repentant towards God, is asking for his forgiveness and is seeking his help to change. That's the person God's coming back for. Someone who continues to walk towards Jesus, who walks in forgiveness and grace and repentance towards God. He's not coming back for the pretender, the person who uses grace as a covering to continue living in sin. Because then you're not called really, truly, he is not your Lord. Because if he's your Lord, you obey him. If he's your Lord, you will serve him. If he's your Lord, you will honor him. Your uniform The dress code for the wedding is just as important as the invitation. Jesus is coming back for his bride, a bride who is ready for his return, robed in the righteousness of God. So we have the invitation. What is it? It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. It's the greatest gift we could ever have. The inviter. Who is it that you're going to invite? You have the responsibility to invite. Who will you invite? Three is the RSVP. Will you persevere? Will you keep persisting? Will you keep praying? Will you keep asking despite all odds, despite the responses you get? Four is the dress code. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Is he really your Lord and not just your Savior? So this morning, I just want to ask, firstly, the most important question is maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus before, and today is an opportunity for you to accept that invitation. That invitation is called salvation. It's called eternal life. It's called relationship with Jesus. It's called forgiveness and grace and love that God poured out for us. So just with every eye closed and every head bowed in this place, just to give people around you some privacy. This morning, I just want to invite you. This is me being the inviter. I would like to invite you. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus before, or maybe you've had a relationship with him and sort of a bit rocky or you haven't really been following him, you're not really sure about him today, you want to come back to him. Today, you want to ask Jesus into your life for the first time, the second time, the third time. You want to restore that relationship with God the Father. If that's you this morning and you would like to accept that invitation to eternal life with Jesus, I'd love you to raise your hand in this place with every eye closed and I'd love to pray with you. Awesome, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? We're just going to pray this prayer together. So just do it with your eyes closed and your head bowed. You know, whether you put your hands up or you didn't put your hands up, if you still want to pray this prayer, God still hears your prayer. So just pray it from the bottom of your heart. And we're just going to all pray together because we want to encourage one another in this prayer. So just repeat after me, dear Jesus. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you gave your life for me. I thank you that you've forgiven me. I thank you that you've set me free. I'm sorry for all the wrong things that I've done. But I thank you for your gift of forgiveness. And I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again to give me eternal life. And today I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord, 
and to be my Savior. I thank you, Jesus, that today I am saved. Amen. Awesome. Have you prayed that prayer with you?